Welcome. This is the Woodbury Church of Christ Sermon Podcast. We're glad that you tuned in, and if you'd like to know more about our church, you can find out all the information at woodburychurch.org. Or we'll see you some Sunday, Sundays at 10 a.m. Looking forward to it. So a few years ago, uh, I was having a medical crisis. I did not know what was happening. I would just be sitting there and all of a sudden my heart rate would just skyrocket. My chest would just like tighten up and I couldn't hardly breathe. My Apple Watch would ping me. It would give me a notification. It'd be like, yeah, it looks like you're doing a workout. You want me to record this? And I'd be like, I'm just sitting on the couch. I don't know what's happening. I'm not even watching a scary movie. I'm not listening to the news. I'm not doing anything. I had no idea what was going on. It was just overwhelming. And so, of course, I I tried all kinds of things. I was like, well, I probably should cut out, I don't know, diet soda. And I cut it out and no change. And I tried a different diet. I tried uh, running more. I mean, I tried all kinds of things. Nothing was alleviating these symptoms. And finally, finally, as a last resort, I thought maybe I should go to the doctor, see what's going on go to the doctor and they do this battery of tests. You know, sir, you're supposed to come up for an annual checkup every year and you haven't been here in like, you know, 40 years. And I'm like, that's just how I'm wired. I just, sorry about that. And they asked me, of course, to tell me my symptoms. And I told them what was going on. They're like, well, here, here's, they gave me what looked like a bulletproof vest and I had to wear it for 24 hours. It was supposed to monitor my heart. And so I wore the thing. And of course, nothing bad happens while I'm with the doctor. Nothing bad happens while I'm wearing this stupid bulletproof vest. I feel like the doctors are thinking I'm making all this up. They did all the, the all the stuff and everything was fine. And, and, and so finally I, you know, I go back, I turn the, the vest thing back in and the doctor said have you considered that it's psychological he said these are classic symptoms of anxiety and I said uh, you you must not know me sir I am not an anxious person I'm not wired that way that's not my personality and he he said do you have any stresses in your life and I was like nothing that I can't handle you know I got this nothing more than anybody else. And he said, well, you know, maybe, maybe consider seeing a therapist. <laughs> like therapist, what do I, I don't need a therapist. But, All right. Well, if you make you happy and make my wife happy. Okay. So I go to a therapist and the therapist, she asks me, do you have any stresses in your life? And I'm like, no, not really. I mean, you know, I kids, family, uh, foster kids work. Sometimes I feel like I'm drowning and my life's spinning out of control. But I mean, other than that, I... <laughs> I feel like I'm doing great. And the therapist, after several sessions, says, you have what we call generalized anxiety disorder. And it took a while for me to wrap my mind around that reality, that what I was experiencing was was my brain and my body were not on the same page. My conscious brain was rationalizing everything, saying it's fine. And my body was saying, no, 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 it's not fine. There's something going on. And immediately when I was writing this, I was thinking about this particular meme that I've seen. I've got it up here. But this was basically my brain. I was like the dog sitting in the fire, and I'm just sitting there. This is fine. It's fine. It's okay. No, it's, it's not okay. It's not okay. My body, my subconscious was ringing the alarm bells. 
Mental health and the Christian life. That's the series we're in, mental health and the Christian life. And I'm really grateful that we're doing this. I'm really grateful that God has granted us some, some wise individuals to, to talk about this. The brain, the brain is this, this, this amazing and beautiful thing. It really is. It's this incredible thing. There's something like a hundred billion neurons in your brain all doing all kinds of different stuff all the time. There is 60,000 miles of blood vessels in your brain bringing all that blood and that oxygenated blood and everything, you know, all this amazing stuff that's going on, you would need, I read this this week, you would need about a trillion laptops to do the same computing power that your brain just can do like that. It's amazing. It's this wonderful, amazing, beautiful thing. But the brain is also weird and wacky. I have lost my car keys that I'm holding in my hands and I've searched high and low for them. Honey, I cannot find them anywhere. What are you holding? Oh, ha. some of you have lost the glasses that you're wearing, that you're looking through. Where are my glasses? I know I put them here. Your brain is not always working with you. Your brain is not always on your side. Have you ever done this? I've left work, I've left here to go pick up my kids at school and then found myself walking into my living room thinking, man, it seems like there was something I was supposed to do and my kids are <laughs> calling from the school. My brain just was like, I got other things I'm gonna focus on and worry about and think about today. And, and the brain is, is occasionally unhelpful, unhelpful. Sometimes your brain won't let you sleep at night because of something that you said or did 20 years ago. <laughs> 2 a.m., bing, remember that? Or maybe your brain is like, hey, Patrick, it's a little cloudy, it's a little cold outside, so no serotonin for you today. Or how about this, all I have, I have all the symptoms of anxiety, but my brain is trying to convince me that I don't have anxiety. I mean, our brains aren't always helpful. So that's why we called this series, The Struggle is Real. That's why we called it The Struggle is Real. As a species, we don't have a really great grasp on mental health. I'm not just talking about Christians, although that's particularly true, and we'll talk about that in a second. But as a species, we don't have a good grasp on mental health. Like since we were kids and we wanted to eat ice cream and french fries all day, we had some authority figure in our lives say, no, 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 you can't do that because that's bad for you and you won't like the outcomes and here, have this banana instead. Or since we were kids, we were thinking, no naps ever, I never want to take naps. And then an authority figure said, actually, you get pretty cranky when you don't take naps, so we're going to go ahead and lay down for a while. Every time we scraped our knee, we had an authority figure say, okay, we need to clean that up and make sure it doesn't get infected. And I know it's going to be a little painful, but we'll get it cleaned up and put a Band-Aid on it and we'll kiss it and you'll be on your way. We've had those models for how to handle those situations, but it's not been well modeled for us how we handle mental health struggles, whether in the world or whether in the church. It's just not been modeled well when we're struggling with these symptoms, how we deal with them and what goes on and how we come back from that. And it's getting better. It's definitely getting better, uh, but we haven't had those. So, so real quickly, as we begin this conversation, three things I think we should teach our kids about mental health. And I think this is true for everybody. This isn't just church truth. This is truth, truth. Uh, but for everybody, you should teach your kids and we should remember ourselves that the struggle, the mental health struggle is real, even when you cannot see it. 
even when you can't see it. It's real. You know, when you get annoyed at somebody's behavior, like what in the world are they doing? If we could just stop for a second and realize that they may be going through something up here that we're not aware of that's causing them to make some of these decisions, these choices, these behaviors, maybe it would give us a modicum of patience. Mental health struggles are real even when you can't see it. It won't show up on an x-ray. It won't show up on a blood draw. It won't show up if you wear a stupid bulletproof vest for 24 hours. It just won't show up. It's not always obvious for us. Even to us, it's not always obvious. Sometimes the people that really love us are like, hey, I really think you should see somebody. But to us, mental health struggles are real even when you can't see it. Mental health struggles are real for everyone. This is a big one because some of you are probably wired like me and you're sitting here thinking, ha, yeah, some of those weak-willed people who don't know what they're about, maybe mental health struggles are, are, are for them, but not for me. I would never need to see a therapist. I would never need to take medication. I would never need to make any adjustments to the way I think and what I do. Recent uh, CDC data said about 50% of Americans will have some sort of mental health episode in their lifetime where you're doing things and thinking things and behaving in ways that you can't quite explain. There's something misfiring going on up here and you don't know what's going on. Mental health struggles do not care if you're rich or poor. They do not care if you are the picture of health or you could lose 50 pounds. They do not care if your house is spotless or it's a disaster. They do not care if you get straight A's or straight F's. They do not care if you've had an ideal childhood or if you've had a traumatic one. They do not care if you live on a tropical beach or the frozen tundra. Mental health struggles are real for everyone. They're real for everyone and it's so important that we understand that. But mental health struggles deal in lies. This is really valuable for us to hear. Mental health struggles deals with lies. This is the problem with our brains. Our brains are a pathological liar. Tell me if these sound familiar, if you've wondered about these things, even for a time, even if you could talk yourself out of them, tell me if any of these sound familiar. Something is wrong with me. I'm the only one who struggles with this. People would not love or accept me if they actually knew what was going on up here. I will always feel this way. People would be better off without me. I would be better off without them. Mental health is a liar. And it's a convincing liar. And some of you have had those lies burning neurological ruts in your brain because you've heard those lies over and over and over again. So what we're going to talk about today, the mental health struggle we're going to talk about today is the one I introduced at the beginning, and it's anxiety. Anxiety. When my oldest was in fourth grade, they had to do this presentation for their class, and they had to pick a historical event, or maybe they were assigned it, I don't remember. But my oldest, Taya, did the Titanic. And so you have the trifold board, and you print out pictures, you have the whole nine yards, and then you go in the classroom, and they each do their little presentation, and here's the, the Titanic. The title of her presentation across that trifold board was Fun Facts About the Titanic. <laughs> Fact number one, 1,500 people drowned, you know. <laughs> oh, that's fun. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> and it's, you know, she's, she's a cute little fourth grader at the time, and of course it's adorable. But I, I, I tell you that because 
Christians talking about mental health sound like that? Nails on a chalkboard. Fun facts about mental health. Just pray the gray away. Turn that frown upside down. Whistle a happy tune. All right, Jiminy Cricket. That's not how this works. Mental health struggles are real and it's grating to hear the things that I try to tell people when they're dealing with mental health. It's absolutely grating. And part of the problem is how we typically use verses that use the language of worry and anxiety in scripture. Matthew chapter 6 verse 25 and Philippians 4 verse 6. Matthew 6 25 says do not worry. It says a lot more and we'll get to that in a second but it says do not worry. So Christians see that and we're like well I, I can't. It's wrong for me. Philippians 4, 6, do not be anxious. We have uh, all kinds of modern navigating technology on your phones. Have you ever second guessed your phone and said, I don't think that's right and tried to do something and totally found yourself in a dead end, right? Uh, when we were traveling here a couple of weeks ago, I, I was trying to get to this one location in Nashville. We were with my daughter and I made the same exact mistake. I overrode the GPS on my phone twice on the same exact intersection, making the same exact turn because it just didn't feel right. It didn't look right. And so I'm glancing at my phone and I'm like, no, that can't be right. And I finally, you know, I finally am like, okay, I have to listen to this thing because it's taken me an extra 20 minutes to get where I want to get. I cannot, I cannot keep ignoring this thing. But I think what we do as Christians is we glance at mental health verses in the Bible. We glance, do not worry, do not be anxious. And then we think that we got it. And then we try to navigate life and we drive right into a ditch. Because what these verses are actually communicating, you cannot get at a glance. And it's important that we understand what scriptures are saying. The Bible says, right, do not worry. Therefore, we assume to worry is to disobey or to worry is to sin. In, in, in other words, the lie is good Christians, good Christians do not worry and are never anxious. That's, that's the lie. That's the lie you may have told yourself. Or you looked at those verses and you said, there's no way I can live up to that. And so I just don't know, maybe I don't trust the Bible or maybe I just can't live out that verse or maybe I just won't ever be a good Christian. This, this is a lie. Now, some of you are like, Patrick, we just read the Bible said, do not be anxious. And you're now telling us that, that it's, that's a lie. Well, put your seatbelts on. We're gonna, we're gonna talk about this. This is important. Spoiler alert. The Bible does not say, do not worry and do not be anxious. Now, some of you are like, okay, my eyeballs just saw it. I just saw it, Patrick. And now you're trying to tell me. In fact, you could pull out your Bibles right now and go to those two verses. And I'm telling you, the Bible does not say, do not worry and do not be anxious. Hold on to that. I know it created a little tension, but that's good tension. It's good tension. Two questions we're going to answer. How does the Bible speak of worry and anxiety? And what is the biblical solution for worry and anxiety? The lie is good Christians do not worry and are never anxious. So what do we mean when we say worry and anxiety? What do we mean? What, do, what are we saying? 
Well, a clinical psychologist had a definition that I really appreciated, and what they called it was useless, repetitive thoughts. Useless, repetitive thoughts. Now, not all useless, repetitive thoughts have to do with anxiety or worry. They could be like Baby Shark or some other tune that got in your head, right? But generally speaking, it's these, it's these concerns, like useless, repetitive concerns. So we think about worry, I think, in these three ways. First of all, we think about worry specifically, and we think of that as kind of the ordinary, normal, everyday things. Did I lock the front door as you're crawling into bed? And then you think, oh, yes, I recall locking the front door. And you go to sleep and you sleep soundly the rest of the night. But that was a worry that bubbled up in your conscious mind. Uh, Or maybe your spouse is three minutes late coming home from work. And you think, oh, I hope they're okay. And then you think, oh, I'm sure they're fine. I'm sure they just got in a little traffic or had to leave a little bit late. But that was a worry. It, It bubbled up and then you were able to squash it. Because your rational brain was calling the shots there. It's usually manageable. That's how we think of worry. Now, we think of anxiety a little differently. It's like a serious worry, so to speak, where these have to do with like mild phobias or or irrational fears or what ifs. And maybe it's like, ah, did I lock the door? And you think, I thought I locked the door. I'm pretty sure I locked the door, but I got to get out of bed and I got to go check. Oh, lock the door. And then you get back in bed and you're like, but did I really lock the door? And then those are, that's anxiety. That's like a strong worry. That's, That's something a little bit less manageable. It's harder to 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 squash that. Or maybe your spouse is three minutes late and you're like, well, what if they were in a horrible accident? I should turn on the news to see if there's any tragedy that I'm unaware of that they were involved in in the last five minutes. And and if they were, then what if they're a vegetable and I have to care for them the rest of my life? You know, and you just kind of get spinning out and it's harder to squash those anxieties. So those are a little bit harder to manage. And then we, modern humans, have this disorder. We have a third category and it's a disorder, a generalized anxiety disorder. And that's that persistent feeling of dread and it interferes and it inhibits with with daily life. Some of you have experienced this, whether it be depression or anxiety where you couldn't get yourself out of bed. And because you couldn't get yourself out of bed, things that you needed to do went undone and responsibilities and obligations went unmet. And then that piled on and that made it worse because you couldn't will yourself to do the thing that you needed to do. Persistent feeling of dread. This is the heart racing, the chest crushing, the awake at night, generalized anxiety disorder. So that's what we mean. That's how we categorize these. What does the Bible mean when it uses the word worry and anxiety? What does the Bible mean? Well, first of all, this is probably helpful. The word worry and anxiety or anxious in the Greek language is the same word. The translators were trying to be helpful by mixing it up a little bit, but it's the same exact Greek word, same exact word all throughout scripture when you're talking about worry and anxiety. So they're not differentiating between levels. They're just using this one general bucket. But the word literally, this is interesting to me, at least it literally means divided thinking divided thinking. So Matthew 6.25 says, take no divided thoughts. Or Philippians 4.6 says, uh, take divided thought for nothing. So you can see why they reworded it. It's a little goofy, the syntax there. But it's a little bit, it's a little bit like texting and driving. Back in the 90s, when I learned to drive and there was no temptation from your phone, it was a lot safer, right? 
It was so much safer because we weren't distracted drivers back then. There's a really good uh, video about this, but of a guy trying to drive and he's trying to change a CD and he pulls out his big, huge CD case and he's fumbling through it and he's pulling this one out and he's putting this other one in and you're, oh, it was so much better in the 90s. Or when you had to navigate somewhere, you didn't have your phone telling you where to go, but you had to print out full-size map quest sheets of paper, multiple sheets of paper and you're trying, yeah, it was way better in the 90s. We weren't distracted at all, right? The tiny little, the, the tiny little writing. And if you missed your turn, you were done for. It couldn't reroute you. Much, much, much safer. Paul and Jesus in these passages are saying, don't take up divided thought. Don't take up divided thought. We here do not worry, and it translates a little differently, but what they're saying is don't take up divided thought. It works like this. We have been given things to do by God because of our responsibilities. It, it could be work, it could be family, it could be, it could be loving God, loving people, it could be being generous, it could be being kind, it could be forgiveness. God asks me to obey, and you can fill that obey blank in with whatever he's asked you to do. You're a father, you need to, you need to father your children. You need, you're a mother, you mother your children, right? You know, you're a child, you honor your parents. You're, you're, you're a good worker, you're a good citizen, whatever it is, you've got this task that you are called to focus on. Love God and love people. That's what we are called to do as Christians. The problem is sometimes we take up these divided thoughts. Well, yeah, sure, God tells me to love people. And in this situation, that person needs generosity. This is the divided thought, you ready? What if I give to them and then I don't have enough for myself. I know what the task is. I am driving and I should not be texting on my phone. I should be focused on driving. But what if somebody texted me? There's the divided thought. What if somebody needs me? What if somebody is, is, is liking my Instagram post? There's the divided thought. God calls me to do this thing, but what if this other thing gets in the way or I miss out or what? It could be, it could be anything, it could be anything. And then what happens is the divided thought supersedes the obedience. And all of a sudden, we're following, we're obeying the divided thought, and we're ignoring the obedience. Jesus spoke about this with a gardening metaphor. Uh, the soils in Mark chapter 4. Others, like seed sown among thorns, hear the word. They hear the thing that we're supposed to obey, the thing that God has called us to do, to love God, love people, to care for others. They hear that, but the divided thoughts of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, the desires for other things, they come in and they choke out that obedience, making it unfruitful. So I think it's fair to say that the Bible defines worry as taking up objections that override obedience. But this is important. The Bible doesn't say don't have those objections. We all have those objections. So we think the Bible's saying don't even entertain the idea of an objection or a worry. That's not what it's saying. It's saying don't allow that divided thought to dictate what you do. And that's really hard. That's really difficult. Don't allow that divided thought to dictate how you behave. In fact, the act of putting down that divided thought and obeying anyway is what we define as faith. 
That's exa- we define faith as obeying in the face of worry. Not that the worry doesn't exist, but that we do what God has asked us to do anyway. Now, this is crucially important. You ready? The advice the Bible gives about divided thoughts applies to what we would call worry or serious worry, anxiety, but not to a disorder. Now, real quickly, let me, let me say this. Kind of an aside, but not really, because maybe some of you are thinking it, or, and I've definitely heard people ask it. Some Christians worry that getting professional help for that disorder, uh, that generalized anxiety disorder, is, is somehow a lack of faith. That I should just grip my teeth and uh, not worry, right? Just stop it, right? The thinking, let me say, the lie is, if I had enough faith, I wouldn't need a therapist. If I had enough faith, I wouldn't need a prescription. That's the lie. A lot of you know my younger brother, youngest brother, only brother, uh, wears prosthetic legs. And he has his entire life because his mother took some medicine in the womb and he has underdeveloped uh, limbs. Without the prosthetic legs, he could not walk. He could run around on his knees and he did when he was little and it was quite the sight to see. But without the prosthetic legs, he could not walk. He lacks what most of us take for granted. He doesn't have it. And so a professional from the outside came in and said, I can create some semblance of what you don't have and make navigating life a little bit more normal for you. It would be insane If someone went up to Michael and said, oh, you just don't have enough faith. If you had enough faith, you could walk. And people have tried that. But it's a misunderstanding of how that all works. It is totally fine for Michael to wear prosthetic legs. Now, I'm a total nobody. So talk to a professional. But if your brain is not doing the things that normal brains can do and you need outside help or medication to do that, I cannot for the life of me understand why we would get confused about whether or not it was okay to do that. If you had a professional person in your life saying, here's what I think you need. Now, I understand some people are like, well, yeah, but we medicate this stuff over here. I get that. I get the problem. But I just want people, especially people in this room dealing with this, to understand that it is not a lack of faith in God. Talk to a professional. Don't listen to your preacher. Talk to your professional. But I just, I want people to understand that there's certainly no reason in the Bible why we couldn't see a therapist or take medication for a a chemical imbalance or some other mental health struggle that we're being diagnosed with. All right. What is the Bible's solution to anxiety and worry? Remember, mental health is good at lying. So l- let, me, let me ask you if you hear yourself, your own thoughts in these, these cognitive distortions. And I'm going to be a little honest right now, maybe a little vulnerable, because these are things that I, I have thought um, when I'm at my lowest. Um, and they're cognitive distortions. They're, they're, they're lies. I made a parenting mistake with my kids. I've done it many times, but I, I've done it. <laughs> And my cognitive distortion is, ah, oh, I have messed up my children forever. I'm a terrible parent. That's the lie. That's the lie I've told myself. 
Uh, here's another one. I've had, I've had quite a few people say, hey, Patrick, I found your sermon helpful or I appreciated it, you know, over the course of years, right? But sometimes when I'm at my lowest, I can think of a time when one person told another person that they thought my preaching was juvenile and they didn't even tell me, but that other person that they told told me. And I sit there sometimes at night and I think, man, is that, is that true? I've heard all the good things, but is that one negative thing true? It's negative filtering. Or how about this? It was a beautiful day outside. I should have been taking advantage of it, the sun, the vitamin D, but I felt hopeless and purposeless, so I stayed in bed all afternoon. I am such a waste. I can't imagine I will ever feel any different. Or how about this? Maybe, maybe you've heard yourself in variations of these. I'm not happy, and I never will be happy. All of those are cognitive distortions. They're actually categories that cognitive behavior therapists will talk you through and say, oh, you're using this lie there. You're using that lie there. You're think all or nothing thinking, black or white thinking. You're, these are the distortions you've bought into, but they're your brain telling you untruths. And so if your brain is telling you untruth, then what do we need instead of that untruth? What's the biblical solution for anxiety and worry? To move away from that untruth and to fill our minds with truth. And if you actually read the verses where Paul and Jesus talk about anxiety and worry, that's exactly what they say. That's exactly what they say. Listen, listen to the heart of God here. This is Philippians chapter four, verses six through eight. Do not be anxious about anything. If we stop there, guilt, wait, oh, I'm anxious. Oh, that's not what Paul's saying. Listen, listen, God, I'm struggling with this divided thought, God. I want to do what you've called me to focus on, but I'm struggling with this thing. And this is what Paul prescribes. But in every situation, every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God who knows that you've got those divided thoughts and cares about that and doesn't want you to believe those lies. Verse seven, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding. I will never be happy. Things will never be better. I will always feel this way. The peace of God, which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. But the passage doesn't end there. Listen, this is so valuable. This is so valuable. Verse eight, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true. You know what you need to do? Those of you that are struggling, even if you're struggling with minor worry and, and maybe a little bit serious anxiety, you need to turn off the cable news. Because most of what they're talking about, I'm not gonna say they're lying, although they're, but most of what they're doing is speculation. They're just guessing and you're filling your mind with some random person's guesses. Why would you let that person have that sort of control over your life? Fill your mind, Paul says, with whatever is true and whatever is noble. Just turn it all off, <laughs> go for a walk, clear your brain, right? Whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about those things. Is that a solution? Are you immediately going to be like, ah, oh, well, better now. I went for the walk in the woods and it's all, no. But you know what you're doing is you're retraining those neural pathways 
from telling yourself those lies to maybe trying to retrain it, retrain those pathways to something true. I think this is interesting. I'm going to get distracted here for a second, but cognitive behavioral therapy is what my therapist has done with me, and it's been developed for, you know, 100, 150 years or so. Um, and that and cognitive behavioral therapy is to replace something that's not true with something that is true, to recognize the thing that's not true. I think it's so interesting when modern, enlightened uh, humans stumble on something that God has had in his scripture for centuries. I think that's so interesting. Because God says, here it is. I, I've been telling you this for a long time. And cognitive behavioral therapy came along. And, oh, guys, we figured it out. <laughs> Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 33. And we're, we're going to end uh, with this. But I, I, I'm, I don't have it on the screen. I'm just going to read it. And I just want you to hear it. And maybe it would be helpful for you, especially if you're one of those people who is struggling with anxiety. Even if it's minor worry, major anxiety, generalized anxiety. Or it might, be, it might be helpful just to even close your eyes and listen to the words of Christ. Listen to the heart of Jesus uh, here in Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 33. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. And then Jesus reminds them of truth. Is not life more than food? Is not the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them are not you much more valuable than they? And do not worry about your clothes. See how the flowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown in the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you as well. It's so good. That's so true. He's saying, focus on the thing God has tasked you to focus on. Don't take up those divided thoughts. I'm on a little personal journey of not using my phone. I didn't even mean to bring it up here. And here it is. Oh, I got some texts from you. That's very nice. But this happens all the time um, where I'll be sitting at home and I'll have a, a millisecond not to think about something. And my muscle memory just does this and opens up social media. Just, I don't, I'm not consciously doing it. I'm just like, boom, there it is. Oh, I got more texts. Thanks, you. Well, I've got my sound on. I'm going to turn my sound on if you want to text me. Feel free. That would be great. It's on now. My muscle memory just does this. And so I have, I have to constantly say, what are you doing, Patrick? Put it down. Pick up a book. Talk to your family. And then muscle memory. Oh, man, Patrick. Muscle memory. Patrick. This is exactly what we've got to do with worry. We've got to continue. You're not a sinner because you pick up divided thoughts, but we do need to put them down, to put them back down, to say, all right, that's not what I want to be filling my mind with. I know it's not easy, and you might have to put down a divided thought thousands and thousands of times. You might have to do that because that's how deeply ingrained some of those anxieties are in us. But let's do, we can do it. There we go. And you know what my, my heart just did when that happened? I was like, oh, who texted me? I'm up in front of all of you. And I'm like, oh, got somebody. 
So what about anxiety disorder? We need to be constantly reminded of what is true for worry anxiety. Here's what, here's what we need to say about an anxiety disorder. We need the same thing, but with professional help. You just need someone to help you, like a professional, like a therapist. That's what you need. And, and don't be like me where it took you way too long to figure that out. You need to be reminded of the truth, but with professional help. The struggle is real.